Well, it's great to see you all back tonight. I appreciate your faithfulness. And this has been a good study. Now, who here was not here for the first several that we did? Okay, so we're going to do a review. I didn't have the time to get the handout for tonight, so I don't have a handout, but I will make one that kind of encapsulates all of it. There's a book, it's called Discerning Truth by Dr. Jason Lyle, L-I-S-L-E, Discerning Truth by Jason Lyle. And the definitions and a lot of the statements that I have in the presentation are from that book. So if you're interested in studying this a little bit more in depth, it's a very simple book. I thought that he put it simply, and so that's why I decided to use it for this. Sometimes when you get into some of these subjects, the language is so arcane that it's, uh, it becomes difficult for a, a, a person who's not trained in that subject to even follow along. Lyle, who uh, does work for the Creation Museum, has done just a tremendous job in that book. So if you want to, it's just a small little paperback. If you're uh, interested in pursuing this subject a little bit more in depth or having the material in your hands, that book is where a lot of this material came from. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for these faithful workers that are here tonight, Lord. And help us as we study tonight, uh, help us to be able to just to learn how to think and how to reason, how to answer when we're challenged, uh, because your word tells us that we're to be ready. Lord, uh, help us now to focus in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly, that's knowing what's going on around you. Circumference. Know what's going on around you. So look at it again. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Um, and how many of you think that the days are less evil now than they were when Ephesians was written? Now, I was uh, doing some reading this week, um, and I was reading about some early missionaries to the Middle East, and they were in the early 1800s. And one of the missionaries, had, they were trying to reach... Um, they called them Mohammedans and Jews and pagans. That's the, the classification, the people that they were trying to reach. And uh, the one settled, decided to make his headquarters in Beirut because the climate was better there and there were only 5,000 people in the city of Beirut. Now, wouldn't you think that an ancient area like that would have been more populated than that? I mean, five thousand. What's that, McCartyville? You know, it's just imagine. That's what Beirut was like. And now, you know, I don't know how many people are there, but when I was there, there are people everywhere. I mean, it was just very populated. Um, the days that we live in are evil. We need to know how to think. We need to know how to think biblically, and um, we're going to run through some of this very quickly tonight. Uh, so don't feel like you have to try and memorize it. I just want you to become familiar with this. And more than understanding the terms, reification, equivocation, those types of words, rather than understanding those terms, try to understand the principles behind the terms. And let's go through this. What is logic? Logic is the study of correct and incorrect reasoning. It's the study of correct and incorrect reasoning. I have um, one here tonight that we'll get into in a minute 
that's a, it's a four-year-old, a four-year-old's reasoning, which made perfect sense to the four-year-old. And you're going to laugh because it really doesn't make sense. It was incorrect reasoning. So logic is the study of correct and incorrect reasoning. What we're studying in this particular study are logical fallacies, so we want to define that. Logical fallacies are mistakes in reasoning. Mistakes in reasoning. The first one that we looked at is reification. Reification is attributing a concrete characteristic to something that is abstract. A concrete characteristic to something that is abstract. It's also called hypostatization, uh, which really doesn't matter. All right? It's, it's very common for evolutionists to commit this fallacy. This is an example. Nature has designed some amazing creatures. Where does nature have its design studio? Isn't that interesting? Okay. Um, this sentence commits the fallacy of reification because nature does not have a mind and cannot literally design anything. So that, that reification, it's very important. History tells us. Well, history doesn't tell us anything. The President Obama has said that ISIS is on the wrong side of history. I'll bet that scares them to death. If you tell them they're on the wrong side of a howitzer, that makes another point. Right? It's very interesting. History is going to defeat this ideology. History didn't defeat the Nazis. The Allies defeated the Nazis, primarily the Americans. Do you see? see the difference? History never defeated anybody. Well, time defeats us. Right? You know, the older I get, the better I was, that kind of stuff. Um, but this becomes very important. You kids, you'll get this in school all the time. Nature tells us. Science tells us. Science doesn't speak. Science doesn't talk. Scientists do. Scientists interpret the information and based on their worldview and assumptions, give you a conclusion. That's not science speaking. That's scientists speaking. All right? Equivocation. Most words have a range of possible meanings, but only one of these meanings will properly fit the given context. And what happens in debate is people will, they'll take two different definitions for a word, and you're in a conversation, and they change which definition they're using. All right? When someone shifts from one meaning of a word to another within an argument, he or she has committed the fallacy of equivocation. So, Michael Scott, you young people who went to camp, you met Brother Scott. He has his, his doctorate, but his doctorate's in theology. So, here's a statement. Doctors know a lot about medicine, and Dr. Scott is a doctor, so he must know a lot about medicine. This short argument shifts from one meaning of the word doctor, medical doctor, to another, THD, making the argument fallacious. All right? You don't want Michael Scott operating on you, and there are many medical doctors that you don't want to learn theology from, right? From whom you do not want to learn theology. Was that better, Nathaniel? All right. Another teacher over here. Okay, so here's some examples of equivocation. Science has given us computers, medicine, the space program, and so much more. Why then do you deny the science of evolution? Well, because... The rockets didn't just happen. Right? Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue. Bumps into something. Shazam! It's a rocket! <laughs> it would have been Spanish or something. Not, you know, 
Gomer, but you know what I mean. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's equivocation, um, changing the definition. So we, we learned about reification and equivocation. We're going to go through three more tonight. The first is begging the question, begging the question. This is a logical fallacy. This fallacy is committed when a person merely assumes what he or she is attempting to prove or when the premise of an argument actually depends upon its conclusion. Let me read that to you again. This fallacy is committed when a person merely assumes what he or she is attempting to prove or when the premise of an argument actually depends upon its conclusion. Dr. Lyle was... He's, this is the man who set up the planetarium at the uh, Creation Museum. All right, He has his Ph.D. in astrophysics, and who doesn't? But um, he, was, he was showing some children some things through a telescope. And he said this, I once did a telescope session with a small group of people, including a four-year-old boy who was particularly interested in astronomy. I asked this young budding astronomer if he believed in alien spaceships. Okay, do you believe in alien spaceships? Asking a four-year-old. His answer, of course, he said, I then asked him why he believed in alien spaceships. I'll never forget his clever response. How else would the aliens get here? <laughs> Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I, I'm in. Yeah, and, and, and um, Justin Yo is convinced. This has persuaded him, Star Wars and whatnot. Um, so this is begging the question. Now, how many of you can see that this is a silly argument that the that the child is making. makes perfect sense to a child, but what's happening is he's, he's, his conclusion is based on a premise that's false. Okay? I know some of you are thinking, how do you know? But let's just say. All right, so pretty logical, isn't it? The aliens would never be able to get to Earth without a spaceship, so clearly there must be alien spaceships. Here's some other examples. Evolution must be true because it is a fact. That's helpful, isn't it? The Bible cannot be true because it contains miracles, and miracles violate the laws of nature. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is something that violates the laws of nature. Uh, it's, and what's funny is people will make these statements, and they'll look at you like they've made this profound statement. And, and then you, have to, you, you look at them, and you have to try and think, okay, bless this person's poor broken mind. Um, but you'll get into conversations like this. And especially Dr. Lyle in his book, he talks about these blogs, where he'll go on these blogs, and this is the kind of reasoning that's used on these evolution blogs constantly. So here's the answer. Since the Bible makes it clear that God is beyond natural laws, he can suspend them if he wishes to. But the critic's argument has simply taken it for granted that violations of the laws of nature are impossible. Now, you know, some of you have heard me use this example before. When Dr. Ree had fallen and had, I believe, fractured your skull, is that, I think that's what happened, and it was swollen and they'd put him in a coma, and they, they were very concerned. It looked like he was at death's door. And I was standing there. The doctor said he had looked at the EEG, the the neurologist, and he looked at it and he said, we didn't do this. We didn't do this. What happened? The laws of nature were violated with Dr. Ree. 
Well, that's ridiculous. Dr. Ree's not even here. Well, if the laws of nature can't be violated, then Dr. Ree wouldn't be here. What happened? God intervened because he knew that the lawn at Grace Baptist needed to be mowed. <laughs> we have the most overqualified uh, lawn care service in America. Right here. Um, isn't that interesting? So th- that's just one example, and I'm sure that many of us have other experiences that nature can't explain reification, right? That's a reification. But that those who would hold to the laws of nature only, naturalism only, that they can't explain. So this is a, it's, it's a false position. It's not, that's, that's a bad answer. It's begging the question. In other words, the arguer has already assumed that the Bible is false, in order to argue that the Bible is false. That's circular reasoning is another word for it. He's begged the question. Here's another example. The Bible cannot be true because it teaches that the earth is only thousands of years old, whereas we know the earth is billions of years old. Were you there? Now, I will say this. You know, I, We'll see in a minute that mocking is a, it's considered a very weak form of debate, but I like it so much. Um, mocking is not the answer, especially with the age of the earth, because the earth does appear old. So be careful that, you know, when you're in these discussions that you don't um, treat people disrespectfully. Um, here's another. Old earth arguments are all based on the assumptions of naturalism. And that means that nature is all that there is. And a large degree of uniformitarianism, and so what that means is present rates and processes are representative of past rates and processes. Okay, So old earth arguments are based on the assumptions of naturalism and a large degree of uniformitarianism. And that word uniformitarianism, we, we have some more scientific people. Do they still use that term to teach uh, science? They've had to move away from it with the new concept of punctuated equilibrium because it's, it's been determined that everything that we have could not have happened over billions of years. Some of it happened very quickly. Um, the, you ought to read that book, Darwin's Doubts, uh, and it, it's about the Cambrian explosion. Um, it'd be, it, it's worth your while. All right. Um, then by extrapolating from present rates of various earth processes... The person estimates how long it would take to build up or erode certain geological features or how long it would take for a radioscope or for a radioisotope to decay. But they're all based on assumptions. What they're saying is it used to work when we look at the past. This is what we have seen. So when I look at something, I know how long it's going to last. Well, that assumes that that radioisotope has always decayed at that particular rate. That's an assumption without evidence, all right? So that's where when you get into billions of years, it, 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 it's very problematic for the, uh, uh, create, for the evolutionist. But the Bible denies naturalism and uniformitarianism, erosion rates during the global flood. So when you see something's eroded, we understand that a lot of times that can happen very quickly. Uh, Mount St. Helens, the Mount St. Helens eruption, that 
gave us great evidence for canyons being formed very quickly. If you went there, you would think that, the, that it was millions of years old and it happened in a few minutes. When I was out in Washington State with Pastor Paul Gentry, he has a little son, Isaac, and Isaac's about three, and he got a book down about their trip to Mount St. Helens. And so he was opening that book, and he was showing me pictures of the eruption, and he was just really animated. That really made an impression on three-year-old Isaac. Um, so, you remember the Bible denies naturalism and uniformitarianism. Um, remember what the Bible talks about, scoffers saying that all things continue as they have from the beginning? You know, the Bible even talks about uniformitarianism as if it's silly. By assuming naturalism and uniformitarianism, the critic has already merely assumed that the Bible is wrong. He then uses this assumption to conclude that the Bible is wrong. His reasoning is circular, begging the question. Here's another. Creation cannot be true because you would have to ignore all that scientific evidence. What scientific evidence? Interesting, isn't it? But this, begs, but this argument begs the question because it presupposes that scientific evidence somehow provides support for evolution, which has not been demonstrated. Now, when you're establishing what you believe, that's one thing. But when you're using what you believe to defend what you believe, that's begging the question. All right? It makes no sense to deny evolution. It is a well-established fact of nature. No, no, that's what we're discussing. That's what we're arguing. What do you mean it's a well-established fact? Right? This argument also begs the question, since the truth status of evolution is the very question at issue. That's not an argument. It's like arguing over whether or not someone's pretty or whether or not something tastes good. Right? Try and convince Lydia or Mackenzie that bananas taste good. So what are you going to base that on? Well, I like bananas. No? All right. It's fallacious because it's arbitrary. These arguments are fallacious because they're arbitrary. And this is interesting. This idea of arbitrariness, arbitrary. It's an adjective based on random choice or personal whim rather than any reason or system. And we do this with music. We do it with food. We do it with... Um, I remember one time Wade said to me when we first moved here. Where's Wade? I don't see him. There you are. First, when we first moved here, he told me Michael Jordan was overrated. <laughs> he still thinks he's overrated. Um, Cleveland Cavaliers didn't think he was overrated. Um, so what, now we can argue about that. So let's say we start arguing about who was better. Um, Mag, or not Magic Johnson, uh, Dr. J or Michael Jordan. And you understand that a lot of stuff Michael Jordan did, he learned by watching Dr. J. Right? That's, that's where, so we could argue about that. It's all arbitrary. You can't, you know, was Babe Ruth the greatest hitter of all time? Well, statistically, yes. If you put him up against a modern pitcher, how would he do? He'd smoke him. He was a Yankee. Um, what, so what did I just do? That's arbitrary. That's based on what I think 
not based on any fact or any reason or, or whatever. That's arbitrariness. And all of that is fine in many areas, but you don't want an arbitrary understanding of aerodynamics by your aircraft designer. Right? Uh, so we've got to keep those things out of scientific questions. Arbitrary assumptions are not to be used in logical reasoning because we could equally well assume the exact opposite. It would be just as legitimate to argue evolution cannot be true because it's false. That's not an argument. That's a statement, right? Okay. I'm going to try not to bog down on this. I want to talk about induction or inductive reasoning because that's involved in this begging the question or circular reasoning. Um, all of us use circular reasoning at different times, but induction is the principle of drawing a general inference from many specific insta instances. It's the principle of drawing a general inference from many specific instances. In particular, induction is the principle we use when we rely upon past experience as a good indicator of what is likely to happen in the future. And you hear that all the time, especially in stocks. Every stock commercial, past performance is no indication of future earnings. They have to say that. Why? Because you cannot induce, you cannot, through inductive reasoning, guarantee a result. You can't do it. Um, but... It, it is useful. Here's a statement Dr. Lyle made. He said, Every time I have burned my hand on a candle in the past, it has hurt. Therefore, I assume on the basis of induction that in the future, if I burn my hand on a candle, it will again hurt. That's fair. That's fair. Induction is a biblical principle. This is interesting. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. There is a point to this right here, and you'll see it in a second. This is an interesting promise from God, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. All right, so based on what God has told us, that as long as the earth remains, there'll be day and night, there'll be hot and cold, there'll be all of those things. So, here's what Lyle says. It is because God has promised to uphold the future in a way consistent with the past that I have a good reason to believe that the future will be like the past in terms of general principles. Okay? So if you get out your farmer's almanac from 300 years ago, and you look at it today, they're going to be very similar. The results are going to be very similar. Now, uh, Nathan's dad has been promising the... What, what year the, the uh, blizzard? Blizzard of 79? 78. Every year it's going to happen again. Is that right, Carol? Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> this year... And it's about to start tomorrow, so get your coats. <laughs> Guys, you got to hear this. We, Laura and I were in Maine. I was preaching a youth camp. Laura hadn't been to Maine, so I took her with me. And they, they don't pronounce their R's in the middle of words, but they add R's at the end of words that don't have R's. <laughs> it's very arbitrary. So it was cold, and we were going to meet around on the banks of the lake, and I was going to speak to them. 
And this guy said that he needed his parka. But he doesn't say parka. He says pocker. No R in the middle. R at the end. Say, so what's the point of that? I don't know, but it's just a cool story. I thought, I thought that you would enjoy hearing it. Um, if we are going to predict what we think is going to happen in the future and we're basing, on, basing it on what has happened in the past, well, then you have to make certain assumptions. We as believers can use this principle because God gave it to us in the Word of God. For the evolutionist, when he uses it, it's completely arbitrary. He doesn't have any idea what things were like in the distant past. He doesn't know. He's making assumptions. And even if he is correct, he's only correct by agreeing with a biblical principle that he would reject. It's interesting, isn't it? Interesting. All right, so let's go on. Evolution must be true because it is a fact is arbitrary because to deny the conclusion is also to deny the premise. So the conclusion is essentially the same as the premise. And that's what makes it a fallacy. It's arbitrary. All right. Thus, I can use past experience as an indicator of what will probably happen in the future if I know the conditions sufficiently well. However, evolutionists have no reason in principle or on their own worldview for believing in induction, yet they all do. They are tacitly relying upon a biblical principle, all the while denying the Bible with their lips. It's an inconsistency. Here's some examples of begging the question. Evolution must be true. After all, it is a well-established fact of science. We have confidence in the methods of science and induction because they have served us so well in the past. All right, so stating, uh, that's just restating your premise. How do we know that the laws of physics are universal? Because everywhere on earth we've tested them, they work quite well, so it is reasonable to assume they are the same elsewhere. Well, that'd be a pretty bad statement. How many of you think that things work different on Mars than they do here? How about in a different solar system? Right? Creation cannot be true because it involves the supernatural. The Bible must be true because it says it is the Word of God and God would not lie. Oh, wait a minute. You might have said that. What is that? That's begging the question. Now, if I'm telling Jacob, Jacob's having some trouble, and I tell him he can believe the Bible because it says it's the Word of God... Well, that's a, that's a meaningful statement to him because he believes the Bible is the Word of God and he's being reminded. All right? But we have to agree on the premise before the statement is valid. All right? The Koran must be true because it says it is the Word of God and God would not lie. Muslims all over the world believe that. The difference is the Koran has not proven itself to be true. The Bible has. Oh, sorry, I think I missed one. We don't actually need evidence for evolution because it is a fact. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I've had people say that to me. Show me some evidence for evolution. I, I don't. It's a fact. It's been proven. Show me the evidence. Remember, I did that to the professor at Oklahoma State, and I said, "This is so exciting. Let me write your name down. I'm going to call the paper." He said, "What for?" 
I said, you found the missing link. Dr. So-and-so has found the missing link. This is so cool. I'm doing this just like this on the phone. He starts stuttering real bad. He said, that's not what, oh no, this is awesome. You have found, you have discovered the missing link. I am, I am pumped. I just started messing with him. It was really funny. Question begging epithet. This is the next. The question begging epithet. It's very similar to begging the question, but you'll, you'll understand this. Here the arguer uses biased, often emotional language to persuade people rather than using logic. If a reporter said, quote, this criminal is charged with violently murdering the innocent victim, he would be using a question-begging epithet because he has used biased language to make a case that is not yet logically established. It would have been more objective for him to say, this suspect is charged with killing the other person. This statement up top, that's what's going on in Ferguson. Isn't that interesting? See, that's, that's a question-begging epithet. It's using charged language to impose your opinion on the subject that's not supported by the facts. Now, the facts may support the first statement eventually, but at the time of the statement, the facts are not yet established. So, it is a question-begging epithet. All right? Our department is becoming infested with creationists. <laughs> to be a creationist, you'd have to ignore tons of scientific evidence. It is a fallacy because it uses biased language and not logic to assert scientific evidence supports evolution. All right? So they can be subtle. They can be subtle. This type of thing happens all the time. Evolution versus creationism. Why isn't it evolutionism versus creationism? All right? Why? By attaching ism to the end of creation, but not to evolution, the person is subtly suggesting that creation is merely a belief, whereas evolution is not. But here she has made no argument for this. Think about the Bill Nye debate. In Ken Ham's creationism, remember how often he would say that? As if Ken Ham's the only person that believes that. What was he doing? He was making his sample so small that the rest of the intelligent people could dismiss him. Right? That's a weak form of argumentation. And, it's, and I, if I were debating Bill Nye, I would have pointed that out um, in a sarcastic way. <laughs> Creationists believe that the universe is young, but the best scientists tell us that it is billions of years old. Right? So you have creationists and best scientists. See that? All right. By using the adjective best to describe those scientists who believe in an old universe, this argument uses biased language rather than logic to persuade. It is fallacious. Here's some other examples. Evolution versus creationism. Creation versus science. I love that one. Creation versus science. Creation is so obviously wrong that I don't need to even argue my position. I've had people say stuff like that to me. And, you know, and then, of course, I would say something, man, that's really well thought out. How can I compete with that? The scientific position is evolution. Creation is just religious nonsense. That's the kind of thing that Bill Nye would say over and over and over again. No evidence, no, no logic involved, just an emotional statement. He's emotionally invested in it. God is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. 
It's amazing how many atheists are really mad at somebody they don't believe exists. That's delusion. That's delusion. I get so mad at Santa Claus. Never brings me what I want. Why do I not believe in creation? Because I'm intelligent. Really? I used to have blind faith just like you, but then I, I evolved. <laughs> I was wondering what that thing coming out your rear end was. <laughs> you, you would think evolution would add a tail, not take it away. You know, tails can be useful. All right, now, here's, here's our last one for today, the complex question, the complex question. What I'm doing there, it's very interesting, um, and this is where uh, uh, Kent Hovind was so good. Um, when you're dealing with logic and these fixed ideas, humor helps people remember and, and bring it in so much more. And, uh, you know, it's a different discussion, but that's a part of communication that preachers miss, um, uh, I think you teachers, I'm sure that you all use humor. It's so important to keep the kids involved that way. All right, so here, the complex question. I use this constantly. Now, it's a logical fallacy. You don't prove your point until you hear the answer. Okay? This is the interrogative form of begging the question. Attempting to persuade by asking a loaded question. Like, I'll ask someone this. How many of you have heard people talk about revival? And in our circles, you hear that a lot. Preachers, you know, they're revivalists or whatever. We had a young man come through recently who was going to be an evangelist. And what's your, what's your goal? He said, revival. And so I asked him, I, I said, what is your favorite New Testament passage on revival? And he just kind of looked at me. He starts thinking. I said, don't think too long. There's not one. What did I do? I asked him a loaded question that there's not an answer to other than there's not one. Okay, that's an effective teaching tool, but it's a horrible debate tool because there's not logic involved in it. Um, so here we are. You know, what's the significance of revival not being in the New Testament? Because it's not for the church. Revival is for the nation of Israel. Okay? <clears throat> it's important. All right. Here's an example. Have you stopped beating your wife? Or how many of you ever heard it this way? When did you stop beating your wife? How many of you have heard something like that? So it's a complex question. Why is it called a complex question? The question is complex because it should be divided into two questions. The first, did you ever beat your wife? Number two, if so, have you now stopped doing this? Two different questions. Examples, why are creationists against science? See, there are two questions there. The first question is, are creationists against science? And what would we say? No, so there's no reason to ask the second question. That's a complex question. Why is evolution so critical to our understanding of biology? It's fallacious because we should first ask, is evolution critical to our understanding of biology? No, no. Watch for loaded questions in evolutionary literature, such as, how were dinosaurs able to survive for millions of years? Be like saying, how was my mother-in-law able to survive for millions of years? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It's, a, it's the same concept. It's the same concept. More examples. If creation is true, then why does all the evidence point to evolution? If the world is young, why, then why does it look so old? 
Why are creationists against science? Those are just examples. Are you aware of the fact that evolution has been demonstrated in a laboratory? Really? I'd like to see that. How did life arise from random chemicals and, and diversify into all the species we see on Earth today? And kids' science books will have questions like this. Uh, I remember walking through the Field Museum in Chicago and seeing statements like this, and I called, I got a hold of a curator and really challenged him and got my money back. How is it that scientists are able to probe the distant past and learn what life was like millions of years ago? They're not. You see? How many of you saw that picture um, that was going around the Internet with Steven Spielberg kneeling with his gun in front of a, di a dead dinosaur? How many of you saw that? People were responding to it saying things like, I don't care how many movies he's made. Yeah, I can't believe he shot that poor animal. I mean, there were all kinds of responses, just geniuses. When are you going to stop believing nonsense and accept science? You mean there was nothing and then it exploded? That a, a, an ape turned into a man? That a rat turned into a bat? That, I'm supposed to believe that. That there really are dinosaurs and now they're birds. I'm supposed to believe that, that when I see a crow, that that's the same thing as a pterodactyl. I'm supposed to believe that. It's nonsense. It's nonsense, but that's the way the questions are phrased. So what we're trying to do in this study is simply arm the young people, arm our teachers, help us not to accept the premise of the question that's being asked. Um, it's just, I will say this, especially on the loaded question. Um, I understand that it's a logical fallacy, but asking people to prove, asking questions that you know they cannot prove, it shakes their confidence, and it's a helpful way. But these types of questions, they're just silly. They're silly. Um, asking questions is such a great way. Why, why do you believe the earth is billions of years old? Why do you believe that? Say, well, because that's what I've been taught. All the evidence shows that. What evidence? That's not the same thing as this, right? Questioning is a great way to get information. And you all know um, that's the way that I try to handle religious discussions. If I'm dealing with a pastor from another faith, I'll ask him questions and quote scripture. What do you think about this? He'll give me his answer and then I'll quote scripture. And that's, that's what Jesus would do. Why do you call me master? Why, why do you call me good? There's only one good and that's God. See, Jesus would ask questions. Like, Who touched me? When the lady went by and touched him. Who touched me? Do you think he didn't know? He knew. Asking questions is a good way uh, to, in argumentation, it, it, it's very helpful. We're talking about these loaded questions that are they're false. And the reason we're teaching them to you is to watch out for them. You know, young people, some, you'll be, someone at school might say to you, 
But what do you what do you believe about dinosaurs? When do you believe dinosaurs existed? Well, their implication is that dinosaurs are millions of years old, and if the church if the if the if the church if the earth is only six thousand years old, then where were dinosaurs? That's what they're asking. Their assumption that dinosaurs are millions of years old are just that. Their assumptions. There was a there was a he's, there, he's suing the university. I think it's UC Davis. There's a Christian who would go on archaeological digs in the summer, and he found a dinosaur egg with DNA in it. So it obviously can't be millions of years old because DNA won't last that long. And so he started talking about it. They fired him. So much for intellectual freedom, right? And that's going on right now. That's happening right now. Um, we need to know how to answer questions. We need to be able to be bold and watch out for their devices. Remember, reification. History tells us. Equivocation, changing the definition in the middle of a sentence. Begging the question. Uh, your premise and your conclusion are the same uh, in, in a statement that has not been established. Um, the begging the question epithet. You know, if Christians weren't so stupid, they, they wouldn't believe in creation. Or, you know, they would believe in evolution. The, those, those, the begging the question epithet and then the loaded question. These are things that we need to know. We need to have them in our minds and be able to answer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much.